Hey, uh, good morning, everyone. Again, my name is Pastor Allen. <laughs> second time, second time. Gets better. Um, and um, let's, uh, let's start with uh, prayer. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for allowing us to be here today. Lord, uh, I pray that as we hear your message, that you open our hearts to apply it to ourselves. Uh, I think that sometimes we might tend to hear a message that that we want others to hear or that we say, oh, I wish they were here or I wish they can listen to this. Lord, I just pray that through your Holy Spirit that, that our hearts may be focused on ourselves and how we can apply this to become more uh, like you, Christ. In your name we pray. Amen. So, one of the essential attitudes... One of the essential motivations, essential spiritual realities in the life of the church through which his life flows is gratitude. The church in itself has various internal systems. It has attitudes, it has concepts, it has spiritual realities and motivations that carry the life of the church, that carry its spiritual life. Some of those things are faith and obedience and attitudes of love and humility and unity and forgiveness. And the one in which we are going to focus on today will be the spiritual attitude of thankfulness, of gratitude. And let me start with this story. It comes from Luke's Gospel in chapter 17, verses Uh, 11 through 19. On the way to Jerusalem, he, Jesus, was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance. In those days, lepers always stood at a distance because it was believed and probably true that their particular disease had infectious capabilities. And so they were basically quarantined and isolated into leper colonies, and they were kept to themselves uh, apart from any interaction from healthy people. And so these ten lepers stood at a distance from Jesus and lifted up their voices, sort of screaming at him, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he's... and when, he saw, and when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. It might seem like a strange command because when a leper believed that he had indeed recovered from his disease and was well, he was to go to the priest. And there was to be a purification ceremony to assure that that in fact was the case. And then he could recirculate among the people. And so Jesus said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, it says, they were cleansed. Now they started out in an act of faith heading for the priests. Nothing had happened before they, were, they started in that direction. It happened as they were going. Ten of them. And this is the, remark, the, the remarkable part of the story. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks, giving thanks to him. Now he was a Samaritan. 
And so this is important because it's almost inconceivable that one could be cured of something as terrible as leprosy. Something which rendered a person socially unclean, ceremonially unclean, and put you in isolation with others of that same frightening disease. It cuts you off from your family and loved ones and the synagogue and all social events, really all interactions that makes up life. And then to be totally cleansed. You would think that ten of them would have come back and fallen at the feet of Jesus and given thanks. The only one who did, interestingly enough, is a Samaritan. And the interesting part about that is that there was, a, there was no love lost between a Samaritan and a Jew. There was a mutual hate engendered by the fact that Samaritans were half-breed people. That race of people came from the, came from the loins of Jews who intermarried with Gentiles. A, a despicable thing to most Jews in the ancient world. And so this was remarkable indeed, for, he came as a, for here came a Samaritan falling on, on his face at the feet of a Jew. And thanking him. Then Jesus answered, Were there not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Literally in the Greek, your faith has saved you. Ten God healed. One God saved. It was a wonderful story for the one, but it was a tragedy for the nine. It illustrates how ugly being unthankful can be. How hard to understand that these people could so quickly forget the very one who was their source of their cleansing, the source of their saving grace. In Romans chapter 1, as we think about this matter of gratitude, when the Apostle Paul indicts society, sinful society, when he indicts the nations of the world, the indictment or accusation is very specific. He says in Romans, in, he says in verse 21 of Romans 1, Romans chapter 1 verse 21, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. You know, unthankfulness is right at the top of God's list of big no-nos. And it may be easy to understand or comprehend someone who is not saved as not being a very thankful person. We can understand that nine lepers who didn't know God could be thankless. We can understand a world of thankless people. But what about uh, a thankless Christian? What about us? First Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 18 says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. In everything, give thanks. God desires this. That little phrase at the end of verse 18 actually follows all three commands from verses 16 and 17, where it says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks. It has that unlimited requirement in everything. 
He has the idea of being in connection with everything that occurs in life, no matter what it is, with the exception of personal sin. Don't be thankful for, for personal sin. But in everything, give thanks. No matter what the situation, no matter what the difficulty, no matter what the trial, we are to find reason to thank the Lord. There's another verse in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1-2 through 2 that says, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy. And what Paul is saying here is that in the last days, growing ingratitude in people will be one of the signs of the end times. Down in that same chapter in verse 13, he said that evil men will get worse and worse. The closer we get to the coming of Christ, the more, the more wicked men become. The more wicked they become, the more thankless they are. So we, we might not be so surprised to see unsaved people going through life complaining, bitter, angry, thankless, without any gratitude, accepting everything good that comes their way, and a lot more. The unsaved men in our culture, in our time, views life as moving along a path of manipulation and luck combined. He manipulates as much as he can, hoping for luck to come in and help him. Or he may view life fatalistically as some inevitable force which he must reluctantly accept and he can't do nothing about it. Or he may view life as the end product of his or her sheer genius, of his great effort and, and amazing skill. And we even hear people today thank themselves for what they are. But for believers, we know God is at work, and we know God is unfolding a divine agenda, and a divine plan, and a divine purpose. Each component is, is determined by Him for our benefit and our good, and for His glory. He's leading us to a sovereignly designed goal. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. God is unfolding a purpose, and the end of that purpose is good for His own. In fact, 1 Peter 4.12, Peter says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. It's not strange to go through a fiery trial. It's not strange to go through testing when we know God knows the end result. But as Christians, I think we struggle with with gratitude. And it's not just the lack of joy that goes against biblical principles, but it's also a lack of gratitude. We want to thank God for, for every, every blessing, every small blessing, every small goodness, every large goodness, every little thing that God provides for us. And I found this, this quote that said, There are some people who can find the manure pile in any meadow. I mean, it doesn't matter what is going on. 
they can be negative. Why? Don't we have the greatest single reason, the greatest single cause to be thankful for? We ought to be overflowing with gratitude, right? It ought to be for all of us an absolutely constant way of life. Look, I'm not, I'm not pointing any fingers. I'm not here to condemn anyone. Romans 8, 1 is clear that, uh, 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 that says, Now there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I just want us to, to, self, to do some self-examination to see how we can become more like Christ. And you know how thankful we are, amongst other things, can reveal the health of our soul. When the Apostle Paul describes what our being filled with the Spirit looks like, he doesn't point to ecstatic experiences or miraculous spiritual gifts, though we may experience this, but he points to thankfulness. Ephesians chapter 5 verses 18 through 20 says, Do not get drunk with wine, for, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. When Paul describes what are being governed by the peace and word of God looks like. He doesn't point to the absence of conflict or our level of theological sophistication. He points to thankfulness. Colossians chapter 3 verse 13 through verses 15 through 16 says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. When Paul describes what our living in the will of God looks like, he doesn't point to how well our current roles in life match our dreams, desires, or aspirations, or how big our house is, or how big our bank account is, or the job we have, or the school we're in, or how many followers we have, or how many likes we get. He points to thankfulness. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 8. Verse 18 says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. When Paul describes what our freedom from sexual sin or other kinds of defiling sin looks like, he doesn't point to the absence of temptations. He points to thankfulness. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 3 to 4 says, Sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper with the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. If we want to know how healthy our souls are, our levels of gratitude could be of help determining that. Now, I mean, there are so many, so, so, so many more verses in the Bible that speaks to being thankful. We'll probably need a whole series to go through all of them. 
So with that in mind, and pretty much knowing that being thankful is a biblical commandment, let's explore some of the reasons. And there may be, there may be many more that you know of why we may struggle at being thankful. The first thing that can hinder our gratitude could be doubt about God's sovereign power. Or, or let's say, doubt slash forgetfulness about God. If we doubt or forget God is really in charge, if we're unaware about that or don't believe it, if we're not sure God is really all wise, If we doubt or forget, he knows everything about everything. If we doubt, he really loves us as his own. If we doubt or forget, he really has our best interest in mind. If we're not sure, he's trying to perfect us into the image of his son. If we don't understand our God and his purposes, then we might have a difficult time at being thankful. And if we do understand all of this, then the problem becomes that we might forget about it. Why not be thankful for anything if we know God's power is at work in it? God's wisdom is at work in it. God's purpose is at work in it. God's love is expressed through it. But if we doubt that or forget that, we could have a problem at being thankful. A second thing that may hinder our gratitude is selfishness. And this links up so much with joy. It's that attitude that says, no matter what I've got, I don't really have what I want. I don't have enough. I just, I want more. And my will is more important than God's will. I don't know what God has for me, but I know what I want for me. And God, out to deliver. And we might not say those things verbatim, but that is what our way of thinking and actions might express sometimes. I want my circumstances different. I want my children different. I want my life different. I want my ministry different. I want my spouse different. I want my job different. I want to look different. I want a lot of things different. If that's what drives us, and we set our own agendas, then we're going to have trouble. And that really, really, really destroys gratitude. On the other hand, if we focus on searching for, for what God wants and trust that he will give us what he wants us to have, then I think we have a better probability at being thankful. A third thing is worldliness. And it's awfully hard to sort ourselves out from that in in our culture. If we're into the pleasures and the people and the places and the possessions and the pursuits and the popularity and the likes and the followers and the prestige and we just want all the stuff that the world says makes people satisfied and happy, we're going to have trouble at being thankful. Because we're never going to have all of that. And if you do get some of it, 
you won't have enough of it. You know, this, uh, this society, either through advertisement or social media or any forms of entertainment, paints, paints a picture of what we should have in order to be thankful, in order to be joyful, in order to be happy. And it does such a good job at it that we tend to forget the simple things in life we should be thankful for. Our health, food, home, a car, a job, people who love you, people who care for you. I mean, we we get to listen to the good news. Millions of people don't have those things. A fourth thing could be a critical spirit. If we're bitter or, or negative, if we criticize others, if we just kind of have a sour attitude on life. And you know how we may get that? We may get that by having unreal, unrealistic expectations of what we do deserve. We may get that because we think we ought to control everything and there's some things we can't control and that bothers us. And some of us get it. We understand it. And you know, this is the, the sad part. We still feed it like a monster until it, get us, until it gets as big as a dinosaur. And many times when we speak, the dinosaur roars. And it roars because we've cultivated the wrong fruit. Don't let yourself be critical two days in a row, or two hours in a row, or two half hours in a row. Don't build that kind of habit. If it's unchecked, it will just mash a thankful heart into bits. This attitude can corrode our love, it can corrode our joy, it can corrode our peace, it can corrode our spirituality. A critical spirit that always criticizes, sees what's wrong with everybody else, what's negative, what isn't the way we want it to be, what isn't under our control. Always looking at things from a negative side is a terrible, terrible, terrible thing to do. And when we cultivate that habit, we get so into it, it becomes a monster to slay. A fifth hindrance to gratitude is impatience. You know, God isn't moving fast enough. It's not so much that we want this or that, it's that we want it now. We sort of have our own timetable. And the perception is that God's not on our schedule. We've got it on our appointment books, and He's not keeping the appointments. We want God to work for us when we want Him to work. We need to learn to just be patient. Let God unfold His purposes in time and be thankful that He knows better the timing than we do. Another one is coldness. And by that, what I mean is spiritual lukewarmness. Lack of seal for God. Lack of diligence in the scripture. Lack of passion in, in prayer. Lack of interest in, in worship. Neglection of the Bible. Sort of spiritual indifference. That produces a coldness and a lukewarmness that just kills gratitude. When we spend our time in the word. And we spend our time in prayer. And we spend our time in worship. And 
we spend our time in service to the king and the kingdom, it, it excites gratitude. One last point is rebellion. And this is a very strong attitude that mitigates against gratitude. And this is where we're in a settled state of, of anger towards God because things didn't go or are not going the way we want them to go. And in this state of rebellion, we run the risk to sin against God where we might not stick to our convictions as strongly as we did yesterday and begin to make our own decisions when we indulge our, our own desires and anger. When things are not going or having go, gone our way, God is still at work in our lives. And some questions we may ask in discovering this are, God, what are you trying to say to me? What are, what are you trying to show me? What can I learn from this and help me praise you and thank you, even though I may be struggling with that right now? And if I can invite the, the worship team up, please. All this, all this kind of, kind of stuff, uh, ingratitude, just destroys the church. We want to have a church full of, full of joy. And blessing and, and happiness. And peace where, where people love each other. And the church grows and, and it flourishes. Let's be attentive to the hindrances that may cause us to become unthankful. Don't let them get cultivated in, in your life. And we have so much to, to be thankful for. God's holiness that makes him perfect and he never makes a mistake. God's goodness and mercy which is always available. And it's overflowing and abounding towards us in the gift of Jesus Christ. All the good gifts that flow down from the Father of lights. The victory over sin and death, divine guidance. Complete provision for all of our needs. The hope of heaven. The power of the word. And on and on and on and on and on. Lots of reason to, to give thanks. And if we the church are to be the church of, of Jesus Christ. And his life is what flows through that church. Let's show the world what. They're missing out on. Not the other way around. I show them the, the purpose. Peace. Confidence. Gratitude and thankfulness. We, we possess. Even for the, for the trials. Even for the pain. Even for the struggles. That we are going to experience. In this world. Let's pray. Um, Lord, 
only only you know what what how broken we are. Only you know what's really going on in our hearts. Lord, as as we continue to to look to you, I pray that you cultivate thankfulness in in our hearts, even though we may be going through tough times, even though many people may not understand what we're going through. You know, Paul wrote about being thankful while he was on lockdown, while he almost lost his life, and he still pleaded for everyone to be thankful. Let us let us find that thankfulness. Let us find that, that spiritual attitude. Forgive us for our sins. Forgive us for our impatience, for our coldness, for our critical spirits. We are, we, are, we are so small, God. Please guide us in, in this life and, and help us be thankful even though at times we don't want to. In your name we pray. Amen.